podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Sport is now the only potential discipline where you can engage very high numbers of people. Not my words, the words of the Vice President for Marketing at Nissan Europe. He was speaking before the pandemic. But generally, world-class sport and the power it has to generate interest and cash has come out stronger from COVID. This is Great British Bosses, the podcast from Anything But Footy, where we speak to the men and women behind the success of sports in the UK at all levels. I'm Michael. And I'm John. And in this episode, we're joined by one of the UK's most successful sports marketing agents to talk all things off the court pitch venue. He works with world-class athletes and world-class brands, bringing them together while ensuring the athlete and their performance comes first. Hi there, I'm Matt Gentry, so long-time agent of Andy Murray, and we also have a a business together, um, 77 Sports Management, which looks after the careers of up-and-coming tennis players and footballers. So Matt, the first question has to be, firstly, how do you become an agent but also, how do you become an agent to Britain's leading sports star for the past decade? <laughs> um, I actually started my career working in a bank um, and, and, and soon realised that wasn't for me. Um, so I, I, from there, I ended up doing some sort of work experience at a, a sports sponsorship agency um, and sort of started again from, from that point um, and was there. We were lucky enough there to work on um, some sport clients, Adidas in particular, um, a lot of their work around football sponsorship, um, but also rugby, um, athletics, um, other clients, Pepsi, you know, so it's a really nice sort of big blue chip brands. And, and that really sort of set the scene, I guess, um, and gave me that valuable experience. Um, from there, I went on to a company called 19, which is owned by Simon Fuller. Um, and we that's when I, so I joined there in 2009 when they signed Andy. They already had David Beckham there. Um, and then we signed Lewis Hamilton a few years later. So um, from a sort of talent management perspective, it was a pretty, um, it was a pretty decent showing um, from UK, you know, actually global, global, global athletes. Um, you know, four or five years there, then I left with Andy to set up um, his own management agency, 77 Management. He, and, and pre-me, hopefully, I, I, I take that for granted when he says this, but um, you know, he worked with a few agents and agencies and just didn't really like the way they were set up. Um, the way that in his in his mind, it was about them making money and commercializing things ahead of putting the athlete first. Um, you know, he always feels and, you know, as we do, and rightly so, that the athlete should be put, put at the center of everything. Um, and then money there is to be made, but it's sort of made in the longer term once you're doing the right things by the athlete. Um, and not the other way around. So, um, yeah, so that, that took a couple of years to set up. Um, a, a business partner joined us, Wayne Davies, um, who was ex-Legan Air, ex-IMG. Um, and between the two of us and Andy, we sort of then, then forged this business in the sort of, you know, the mindset of actually, you know, trying to do things properly, you know, working with younger athletes, you know, having a real duty of care to the athletes, you know, really getting, you know, engaged in, in how they're developing you know, and looking at everything they do away from the pitch, away from the court in terms of nutrition, psychology, you know, all the, the really important building blocks that, that, that help get them. And, you know, and at that point, then you start looking at, you know, 
you know, away from the pitch, you know, how then do you build a brand and, and just putting into, into, you know, learning some of the stuff we've, we've gone through. So, so yeah, so it's, that's, that's been a journey. I think, you know, back to the original question, how do you become one? Um, I, th I think it's probably perseverance. I think determination, perseverance is the key. Um, there were lots of, I actually remember it quite vividly and, and, you know, I get lots of sort of people emailing, you know, asking for jobs and it's just, it's just having a list of, of agencies or companies or, you know, that you're just regularly in contact with and, and, you know, badgering in a nice way, but just, you know, really pushing the cause and, you know, offering to help, offering to do work experience, you know, just volunteering your services to get your foot in the door and then, you know, you're sort of in there, but it's, it's such a competitive space that you, you know, you need to sort of try and stand out at that early stage. So it's not easy. And there's lots and lots of no's and rejections to it, but it's, you sort of get there in the end. The name of our podcast obviously uh, suggests that we don't really talk too much about football, but we do obviously mention it because it's such a massive sport that, that generates so much uh, coverage in, in, in this country. And I think most people know agents from football agents and they don't have the best rep in the world, do they? They don't. I mean, look, there are lots of good ones, by the way. Um, it, you know, so it, it's difficult. I mean, I, I think, um, you know, the lack of regulation at the moment in the market doesn't help. Um, I think you also get a lot of family members and, and, and friends of, of, of footballers who are working in that space, um, you know, which is great from one element in terms of the sort of trust and everything else. But um, in terms of expertise, you know, maybe, you know, sometimes, you know, that's not conducive to, you know, the best outcome really um so you tend to find sort of a lot of the cases like a hybrid model of maybe a lawyer and a you know a family member um you know potentially with an agent coming in just to sort of consult around certain things so um you know the way we approach it we haven't got lots of footballers and we wouldn't bring on lots of footballers it's more it's more working with a smaller group of of, of people you can actually get involved with and actually have an effect on on what they do rather than stockpiling you know, 30 players and hoping one or two of them make it through and then to sort of hang on the coattails, which, you know, I guess some people do. Um, it just doesn't feel right from a, as you say, from a sort of human aspect for, for us. Matt, we think of you as being a very good agent. And the reason that we say that on this podcast is we email you quite a lot. Usually it's, can we get Andy Murray on the podcast? And you email back and go, no. But you all... <laughs> But you always, always email back. And that's not something that's universal in your industry. But I'm interested how, how you get your roster. Do people come to you and say, I would like you to represent me? Or do you go to them and say, we would like to represent you? Um, I think it's probably, you know, de depending on the level of talent. I mean, I think that the top talent, I think you'll always have to, you know, go to them and actually make a convincing case as to, how you can help and why they should appoint you, right? So I think, you know, you're very lucky if you sort of people are landing in your lap. Well, it does happen. It happens through, you know, if you have footballers, you know, maybe that it's a friend of the footballer or someone in the dressing room, you know, the player you work with then recommends you and, and it comes through that way. So that's great. But, um, you know, a lot of the time with the, with the bigger, you know, guys or girls, it's, it's you have to approach them and actually have a uh, very solid sort of, business plan rationale as to why they should work with you because there's a lot of competition out there you know there's, there's if you think in the football football space is sort of three very big agencies um and then you sort of you know look around sport tennis for example there's this sort of big imgs the octagons you know so there, there's a lot of competition and there's also a lot more boutique agencies setting up now 
Um, you know, so it's not just the big the big guys you can sort of compete against and differentiate yourself and talk about, you know, how we do stuff and it's more of a family and there are other agencies of a similar size doing it. So it's certainly not easy. This is a podcast called Great British Bosses and you're on, Andy's not. Are you the boss? <laughs> no, I, I certainly am not the boss. I, um, <laughs> yeah, and, and arguably people who work with me may, may, may uh, dispute the great part to that as well. Um, <laughs> You know, it's interesting, you know, having working extensively in football and tennis, you know, the sort of team sport versus individual sport dynamic is is very noticeable. So tennis players, you know, who I would argue that probably have it toughest, um, maybe with boxers, but actually out there in terms of having to do everything themselves to sort of almost pay their way as they work through and the and the pressures on them to perform or you know, or die and probably die in the case of boxing, but actually, you know, you're out there, it's gladiatorial. It's, you know, it's interesting. We had um, name dropping a bit, but, but Jose Mourinho is a big tennis fan and he, he came, he likes Andy and he's watched quite a few matches and just chatting with him in the box at one of the matches. And he, he said, I'd love to be able to get my footballers to come and, you know, swap places with a tennis player, you know, who's having to, you know, maybe he's not feeling great or battling injury and he's out there, trying to earn money, trying to earn ranking points, you know, or he gets nothing at the end of the day. He said, you know, a lot of footballers would crumble, you know, fairly or unfairly, you know, in that situation. So it's, it's really, so, so a lot of tennis players you find are, are really, really driven. Um, so yes. Yeah, so back to the question. Um, yeah. I, I, I wouldn't be the boss, but you know, actually to be fair, he's, you know, he's pretty chilled out, um, you know, despite, you know, I guess maybe how he comes across sometimes he's pretty relaxed and, Let's me get on with stuff. You know, he's, he's a smart guy, so we talk about things, and but he's pretty hands off. And the fact that you struck up this partnership, you guys must have the same principles, uh, effectively, as in, you know, as you said at the start, we want it to be putting the performance first uh, mm. ahead of, of of the marketing side of it. Does that then go to the players you look after? So you're looking for those kind of personalities as well. And let's mention a couple of you, like Katie Swan, Harriet Dart, the the, the tennis players. Um, and uh, and Caroline Weir, the Man City and, and Scotland footballer. Yeah, I think it does. I think you know it comes down to due diligence as well. So when you're trying to sign players, um, it's important that actually you sort of you know you work, you speak to them a lot, you speak to family members, um, and actually you know making sure there is chemistry there, making sure you know they buy into the vision. You know, ultimately for us, it's it's around the sort of player development piece and around you know so. I think, you know, we sort of almost present a vision and I think, you know, that either works for them or it doesn't. And if it doesn't, then they're probably not right for us anyway. So, yeah, so I, I just think we're sort of quite careful and selective. It, it probably means we don't sign as many players. Um, but, but again, it sort of goes back to actually, well, we don't really want an agency with, you know, 30 or 40 athletes because then it sort of dilutes, you know, what we're offering, you know, as an agency and, and as sort of individuals working on that. And you said you're not you're not the boss of, of of Andy, but with those other players and and athletes you represent, I'm assuming you're kind of their boss along with their coach. It, it may be just the way that I approach it, but it's you know I've always been relatively you know I would never sort of scream and shout or actually with talent you sort of over the years I've, I've sort of focused a bit. You work with them and you sort of present them ideas and say that this. You know, this is how it will work. You know, this is what I think will happen. You know, if we don't do this, and this is what you do. And, but ultimately, the decision is theirs, right? It's their career. 
So you're an advisor, you're giving advice, that's what you're being paid for, but they need to be the ones in ultimate control of their career. In terms of your skill set, finance, legal advice, commercial opportunities, firefighter, gatekeeper, what are the skills that are needed to be a good agent, Matt? You, there's a lot of them, really. My wife will tell you I'm a sort of jack of all trades, which is probably a, you know, uh, a bit unfair, but you, you tend to have to you tend to have to be a, a, a good at everything. And actually, as new things come on on the scene, actually upskill yourself pretty quickly. So sort of case in point, we've done a fair bit of work around NFTs over the last year or so, and we're going to do some more of that. Now, a year ago, I'd have no idea what one of those, you know, was, or, you know, you know, how it would impact on what I'm doing. But, you know, actually, you need to understand it, because that could be a potentially quite a lucrative, you know, revenue stream for athletes. So you need to understand it. And then, okay how does that work with some of our talent you know can we introduce this so it just so you have to sort of constantly evolve as well um so yeah so it's just challenging in that respect but it's you know i i enjoy that part of the job i enjoy learning new things and and new areas so it's yeah you just have to sort of do a bit of, you know you end up working with you know good agencies so you know we have you know a good lawyer that we use some good accountancy firms that we sort of lean on so again it's it's, it's just knowing other experts and, and, and building a sort of trusted network. Does your phone go 24 seven though? <laughs> uh, it has periods where it's uh, where, it, where it goes quite a bit. Yeah. I mean, that's the, I, I did a talk a little while ago at a sixth form when they were sort of quizzing me on, you know, sort of day to day. And, and I said, it's, it's certainly not, a, a, you know, if you're looking for a nine to five job where you can sort of, you know, tuck your phone away at the end of the day and, and at the weekend switch off, it's, it's not that. You know, so you find yourself sort of doing, you know, obscure phone calls at, you know, 6 a.m. or 11 p.m. at night, you know, with certain parts of the, you know, world, you know, around maybe something new commercially or, or a tournament or whatever. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a challenge in that, but I, I don't mind that. You sort of, you know, in this line of work, you have to sort of be able to juggle quite frequently and, and, and plans and things change quite frequently. So, but I, I don't mind that. We're catching up with Matt Gentry, the co-founder of 77 Sports Management as part of Anything But Footy's Great British Bosses series. And we'll probably broaden it out, Matt, and, and talk a little bit about the issues facing sport uh, to come. But I wanted a couple of quick questions about you again. What has been your biggest success, would you say, with 77? Is it 77 or 77? Sorry. Well, so, 77, so 77 is the, is the sort of management. I mean, it's, it's quite complicated in that, that that looks after Andy. And then we have a 77 sports management, which looks after our younger talent. So, um, but in effect, I guess, to, to the general public, they're probably one and the same. Um, biggest success, I think, and, and I guess it's not really my success. You sort of share in the success of the athletes. So whatever they're whatever they're doing and you play that sort of very small part in helping them sort of get there. Um, so I think, you know, if, if we're looking sort of towards Andy, it's probably one of the, one of the sort of big wins, probably the, the, the Wimbledon win 2013, I think probably um, is the sort of big, big moment, I guess, from his career. And, you know, it was just amazing just to, to be around having seen all the sort of hard work that had gone in previously to that, you know, from his perspective, it was just, yeah. Um, so I will, I will steal that, his moment of success and, and claim that as my own and are you a fan of all the sports that you you manage i think you do a bit of athletics some of the sprinters you've mentioned football and obviously tennis do you play does it matter do you do you sometimes offer advice uh, i played football um i mean I, i've played football you know, for 30 years you know not to a particularly great level um and tennis i'm, I'm terrible at tennis um 
you know, paddle. Actually, paddle's an interesting sport. So we're getting into that as well. And that, that, that will be one that really grows over the next few years. Um, so for people who are not familiar, it's, it's, it's sort of a, a combination of, of tennis and squash um, played on a much smaller court, court with perspex sides. But it's, it's a much easier game to pick up and a lot more sociable. Um, you know, so I've started playing that of late. Um, does it help? I, I think it probably helps, to, you know, to understand the industry a little bit. You know, I think, you know, not necessarily playing to a great level, but I think it helps. It doesn't necessarily help from a sort of work perspective. I think sometimes, you know, if you're sort of, you know, a big fan of a sport, sometimes that can knock the objectivity a little bit and, you know, you have to sort of remove yourself from it. So um, from a sort of health, wellness, fitness point of view, yes, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm big into my sports and, you know, my sort of, family, kids, you know, play lots and lots of sports. And I think, you know, I've, I've seen the power of sport over the years and, and the good things that it does. Um, so, yeah, I would, I would be, you know, encourage that a lot. But I don't think you necessarily have to to be a fan, but it helps. What's the most ridiculous request that's ever landed in your inbox for one of your big stars? <laughs> um Apart from us asking for Andy every other week. <laughs> um, you must get them. There's a lot of requests that come in. So you sort of, you tend to, tend to raise them quite quickly from your mindset. <laughs> and I was just wondering, is Andy Murray a brand now? He, he's one of the, the senior statesmen of, of British sport. He has something to say, whether that's around gender equality, whether that's donating money to Ukraine at the moment. Is, is he a brand now more than the individual? Yeah, I mean, I, I, think, I think he would be. I think he probably has been. Well, I mean, it's interesting sort of, you know, you know, how do you define, you know, if someone is a brand or not in terms of an athlete? Is it, you know, do they have to have won a certain amount of things or, you know, is their profile need to be of a certain size or social media following, whatever? I think, you know, all of these athletes now have such, um, you know, big, you know, some of the top tier athletes have such, you know, such powerful positions and they're, you know, and rightly so held up, I think, as, you know, role models. And I think, you know, you know, what they say and do carries a lot of weight. Um, you know, I think he, you know, he probably wouldn't like to sort of see himself as a brand. That's just because not who he is. He's quite a private guy. He's, you know, he's quite low key. Um, but yes, I mean, you know, ultimately, you know, he is, and you know, he's got, you know, quite a few commercial partners and everything else. So yeah, I, w- I would say, you know, he's been a brand probably for, for, for quite a while. And then when you're marketing a brand, does it help hinder when they are honest and come out and say things that, you might not necessarily want them to say as an agent? Good question. So years ago, I would have said that the advice was probably, you know, say nothing, you know, be vanilla, you know, and then therefore you won't offend anyone. Um, you know, so from a sponsorship angle, you know, that would probably work. I think I think the shift over the last couple of years, and you've seen this with, you know, whether it's Sterling talking about racism or, or Marcus Rashford around, you know, the, you know, some great work they guys were doing. It's actually now people almost expect an opinion and actually brands is part of the, you know, is what they're buying into. They want someone to have a view on something. So um, I think it's great. You know, it's really refreshing and, you know, yeah, I think it's a a nice, and so actually now athletes and, 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 you know, talent can speak freely. Um, You know, I mean, it's it's a tough, you know, Twitter or or Facebook or anywhere is, it's a pretty vile place, you know, when you do view an opinion, um, you know, but I think I think it's, it's much more accepted now. And I think that's a good thing. I think, you know, why, why shouldn't people have views on, on, on things? You might not agree with them. And, that, and that's absolutely fine. But and Andy's always been of that opinion as well. You know, you know, he doesn't necessarily 
you know, he just he has an opinion about things, and if people don't agree, then that, that's that's fine. As long as you're sort of respectful around that, then you know, no issue. I wonder whether um, there is too much pressure though on on sportsmen and women to offer an opinion if they if they don't if they don't want to. I, I sometimes think, Matt, and I, I've spoken to this about me with my father a few times. I don't know if I brought it up with Michael before, but I feel I have a feeling that the world of football and the world of sport has replaced the church in a lot of people's lives in this country in the last 50 or 60 years, where if something bad happened, you would go to the church way back for an opinion on something or some help. Now, anything that goes wrong or any help is required or any opinion that is needed, it seems like we ask a sportsman, we ask footballers to do something, we ask for, for, for people not to compete in certain countries. Is, is, is it fair on, the, on literally 19, 20-year-olds that we put so much pressure on them? Yeah, I mean, it is tricky. And, you know, and I guess Andy has the benefit of experience and hindsight, you know. So, and, you know, he, he can speak quite freely about stuff and he doesn't really mind the repercussions. I think, you know, go back to the start of his career, it'd be very different. And I think, so, yeah, I, I do think there is a lot of pressure, you know, placed on it. And it's something we do as an agency. We're quite, you know, careful with our talent and sort of, you know, help them through it because it is a minefield, you know, not quite knowing what to say or what you should have an opinion on. You know, not wanting to offend certain people. Um, you know, it's all it's all new to, to some of it. So, so they definitely need the right sort of advice and guidance at that early early part in their career. I think we talked about it a bit earlier off 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 podcast that as you know, you know, sometimes you know, and it feels unfair at times that, that sport is, is is held to a higher standard than than any other sort of industry. You know, and I'm not quite sure why that is. It was interesting, wasn't it, during say the start of the pandemic politicians were suggesting that Premier League footballers should be donating a portion of their wages to the NHS, but they weren't making the same call for <laughs> to, a, to a Russian oligarch, for example. Yeah, I was reading around, um, you know, some of, the, some of the politicians were questioning, you know, Saudi Arabia and investment in Newcastle. And yet, you know, I think, uh, I think a, a, a football fan of them posted something back saying, well, actually, you sell $11 billion worth of arms to Saudi Arabia each year. You know, why is there no sort of spotlight on that? You know, what's the difference? Um, you know, and obviously there is a bit of difference, but it's, you know, it, it's not it's not a sort of a black and white argument, really, is it? There's, there's a bit of nuance to it. And did Andy always have his voice or has he found his voice? Because he has been outspoken on issues. He has spoken about things beyond, you know, what he does on a tennis court. Has he always had that voice or has it come with experience and success? Um, I think he's always had that voice. I think, you know, especially around the area of gender equality, I think, you know, that's, you know, that's a very natural positioning point. So that's not something we're saying to him, all oh, I think we should say this or that, you know, he's, he, he's, he's very sort of comfortable with that and, and then feels it's just a, you know, a very straightforward issue that, you know, people should be judged, you know, basically on merit rather than, than sex or, you know, we're a gender story, should I say, or race or whatever. So, um, you know, that's that's quite a natural, easy position for him. Um, I think he's always had it. I just think he's probably, you know, the more you... Tennis players as well, don't forget. So they probably do about 80 press conferences a year. So they do them before each tournament starts and then after each match. So he's had a hell of a lot of practice, um, you know. So, you know, he's definitely finessed that over the years. He doesn't necessarily enjoy doing it lots, but I think, you know, he always gives... You know, and I speak to the journalists there and he always gives pretty thoughtful, insightful answers to, to questions that are put to him and and tends to be 
you know, on the right side of things in, in the answers he gives. And that's just, I think that's just because he's actually, you know, fundamentally a, a nice, decent human being. We talked about the, the negative side of maybe uh, the amount of coverage that, that sport gets, but we started this podcast by saying that sport really is the only thing that brings everyone together, can engage people. I mean, from a, from a marketing point of view, is sport still the cash cow? I think so. I mean, I'm probably biased in it because I work in the industry. <laughs> so um, I probably would say yes, but I, I think so. I mean, I just, you know, having played it as well, I just think the, the power of sport, you know, and not necessarily sort of the top end of sport. It's just the, you know, playing as part of a team and, you know, all of that that it brings together in terms of sort of teamwork, all of the vital skills that it, that it sort of brings. It's just, you know, I... I've just sort of, you know, seen and reaped the benefits of that from, you know, my entire life. So it's just, you know, something that I, you know, feel, you know, that is a good, is a good thing. And, you know, I say I get my kids to try and, you know, play as, as, as many different sports as they can, you know, just, just, just to try out and find which ones they like, which ones they enjoy doing. It doesn't necessarily matter how good they are at it, but I just think it, it, there's so many benefits sport can bring from a health, um, you know, and a sort of psychological point of view. And businesses bounce back post COVID. I, th- I, th- I think so. I, mean, I, th- I think yeah. I, th- I think you know, sports sort of now has resumed. It seems sort of a normal calendar, or or getting very close to getting back to that. So I think yeah, there's sort of a bit of pent up demand. So it feels to me that you know, while you know, from a tennis perspective, you know, maybe events will be run in a slightly different way. Um, it definitely feels like the you know the crowds are returning, and you know the sort of finance side of it is the same. And I think you know football, which is you know, as you say, I think, the, you know, the fact that it was away for, you know, a period of time, it's sort of people then appreciate it a bit more, maybe, um, you know, and appreciate, you know, meeting up with people and going to games. Um, so, yeah, it, it feels like it. A couple of questions about the future, Matt. Obviously, as an agency, you've broadened beyond just being, you know, Andy Murray's agency. So is that the plan just to continue with your, your roster, a manageable roster, the right roster? Like you've spoken about? Yeah, I think so. Um, and then, you know, looking at other areas, you know, whether you, we're looking into a sort of, you know, production arm where we get into sort of, you know, you know, having a sort of studio as part of it as well. So, you know, I think that's interesting. I think you've seen the sort of rise over the last few years of, of documentaries. And, you know, so I think that's that's a powerful tool for athletes to tell their story once they're sort of at a certain level. Um, so that's, you know, that's interesting for us. I think, you know, you know, the rise of crypto and NFT, I think is, is interesting and, and athlete tokens, fan tokens. I think, you know, again, there'll be areas that, that come up in the next few years, which are just, you know, which are interesting. People are learning about them slowly but surely. Um, but, you know, there's, you know, there's definitely revenue opportunities available for athletes on that. So I think, you know, things like that will be, will be exciting. Um, a sport like paddle, for example, you know, it, it's rare that you sort of get new sports that come in, but I, I'm really bullish on that actually. And not just because, you know, we've invested in a paddle company. Um, I'll just throw it out there, but but I just I just think it will catch on. Um, you know, it's 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 sort of a huge. I think it's just just behind football in Spain as the second biggest sport. Um, you know, it's big in Italy now. It's it's big in sort of some of the Scandinavian countries. Um, the UK only has about 150 courts at the moment, but you know there'll be thousands of courts over the next few years. I'm, I'm sure of it. So. I just think that that's that's a sport to watch and that would be interesting. I wish we had a bit more time to develop some of the themes that you've mentioned there. But I want to ask you about Andy's future as well, because I would totally understand if he just wanted to go and sit at home with his wife and his children and have a family life after years on the circuit. Or if he wants to come and get under your feet in the office. But I feel he has more to give, not just to sport, but the wider world than sitting in the BBC commentary box for two 
weeks every summer at Wimbledon. Do you agree? Yeah, I think I think so. I, I don't imagine he will, you know, be too heavily in. Actually, he did some BBC work and he watched the Del Potro match at Wimbledon a couple of years ago, and it was five hours. And he said, "I'm never doing that again." Um, so it's interesting because actually, you know, even he looking at the sport of tennis, I think you know he feels that actually it's it's probably too long. If you look at the sort of landscape now of, of, of viewing habits and of, of the younger generation coming through, you know, I'm not sure many of them will be sat for five hours to watch a tennis match, right? So, so you know, there is, you know, there is questions there about how the sport reinvents itself, you know, as it competes with other sports, as it competes with Netflix and Amazon Prime and all of this stuff, right? Esports, e- you know, gaming, you know, there's lots of things that fly for people's attention. So, um, you know, I, I think he, I think he'll get, he'll be, he'll coach at some point as well. I think he has a very good analytical mind. He's obviously won all the biggest things out there he can win. So, I think he'll be very attractive to, you know, some of the younger players to sort of, you know, to lean on in, in future years. So, I think you know that some of the mentoring side as well is, is you know, is, is important to him. Um, so, working with athletes and not just in tennis. I just think you know, there's commonality. He had lots of struggles, you know, as he grew up, you know to get to where he got to, you know, I think there's, there's things he can pass on and give back to, to, to British sport and, and to athletes and people, you know, just in terms of, you know, whether it's dealing with pressure or media or, um, you know, just, just general development stuff. So I think, you know, that, that, they, that, that sort of stuff's of interest to him. I think, you know, you know, who knows on the, you know, other sports, I think, you know, he really likes his football. Um, so we might see some, you know, something in getting involved somewhere there at some point. Um, yeah, I think you know he's in the he's in the um, in the nice position of you know being able to you know have a think and, and sort of choose the areas. You know, we've we've been busy building a lot of businesses around what we've got at the moment. So he's invested in quite a few startups. Um, so early stage companies, generally within sort of sport, tech, health, wellness. Um, you know, so he, he's got quite a good business brain. So he actually might want to get you know a bit more hands on with some some of those. Um, and and that, that that is a bit of a trend actually that, that tends to be. Whereas years ago, it was just sort of athletes being paid to promote a certain sponsor. I think, you know, some of these sort of smaller companies coming through, athletes can actually get equity in the company, actually, you know, you know, a bit of skin in the game and actually get involved in, in the day-to-day business, especially when they have time and finish playing. So I think that's an area that will also appeal to them. And one more Wimbledon? It'd be nice, wouldn't it? Um... You, you could claim glory as well, Matt. Get down there. <laughs> Um, Hold up the trophy. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, he's, he's he's done amazingly well to get back to you know where he is now, right? You know, just you know, he's, if you think he's competing once again at the top level, you know, with a metal hip, um, you know, he's he's had some rough draws because when you're not seeded in tennis, you tend to then end up sort of drawing top players in the world early on in tournaments. Um, so it, you know, then it doesn't help you get the ranking points up. But he's you know he's, he's back working in Lendl now, um, where you know great mentor. You know, very clear direction around you know what he wants and, and how they and, he, and he's worked together with him before twice. So obviously knows knows what he's about. So um, I think you know, given that, and he's actually sort of not defending any points for the rest of the year, which means his ranking should only go up. Um, you know, I think you know, as long as the as long as the sort of you know injuries are at bay and it, it seems good at the moment. Then you know, I think what you know, you know, why not? Who knows what the future holds? Well, we wish him all the best. We wish you and all of your team at Seventy Seven Sports Management uh, the best as well. Matt Gentry, thanks for talking to great British bosses. Sports Social Podcast Network.